Good afternoon. Are you seriously having a good day today? Amen. Uh, this is a packed house, huh? Yes. This was very unexpected. Um, forgive me, I'm late. I was doing some changes on the PowerPoint. Um, I told them we have a PowerPoint, but I don't think they were prepared, but that's okay. Um, because it's not their fault, it's my fault for not... Well, I don't know whose fault it is, it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> the seminar today, are, there's going to be two parts. One called Think Some, and the second part is going to be Win Some. Um, it's, I come from a campus ministries background, and the, the, the seminar will be... This is working. The seminar is, is geared towards, uh, for those of you who are reaching out to atheists or those of you who, do, uh, who don't believe... I want to ask you guys from a, from a show of hands, how many of you guys know of an atheist or having a conversation with an atheist late into the night, one of those kind of, does God exist, kind of one of those things. Okay. Um, the first part of the seminar we'll be talking about, um, we may even have atheists in this room. Look around you guys right now, and some of you may be an atheist in here. Um, and I mean that all respectfully. Um, some of us, we may call ourselves Christian theists, but we actually may be living atheistic lives. So the first part of the seminar, we're going to analyze some part of that, a little bit more cerebral. And the second part, we're going to look at some Bible principles and spirit of prophecy principles on how to reach uh, not just atheists, but all types of people out there. Okay. So uh, right now, if you can notice, I'm just kind of babbling on to, to give him some time to, uh, to do this. Um, my name is Pastor Justin. I'm a youth pastor in the Detroit area. Um, I am a program director for Campus Ministries. How many have heard of the guy named Dr. Pippum? Uh, and I mentioned, I say guy with all due respect. Hi, Aiko, how are you? Um, he's my boss. What we do is we're part of a missionary training program. We have one of the oldest programs in the world. We sent uh, Moses to the University of Cairo. We sent, uh, we sent Daniel to Baghdad State. We sent to, uh, we sent, who's it? Uh, Elijah to the school of the prophet. There's a lot of campus ministries in the Bible, and basically we're trying to ch- uh, ch- continue that tradition. Um, I'm sorry. Where you're located here or there? Uh, right here would be perfectly ideal. Great. And um, what we do is we ask students to take a year off of their studies from a public university. Not all of our dudes are from a public university, but majority are. And they stay with us for a whole year, and we train them. Each week is a different class. We start with Bible doctrines. For two weeks, we may have them memorize all the scripture. Not all the scripture, but we try. Um, They fail. Um, (laughs) That they use for Bible studies. And we go to hermeneutics, Christology, ethics. Just each class is an intensive uh, little short class in itself. And we have evangelistic series on these campuses, and uh, we get them trained in how to reach out to secular minds on campus. And by a whole year, they should be trained, and we send them back to their campuses, and they go and inf- infect the rest of the campuses on the way on the way out. That's my microphone. Yes. Thanks. Do I need that microphone also? Oh, we need both. Says the big voice upstairs. Oh. And uh, I beg of your patience here. How many went to the baptism? How many went to the concert? How many of you took a nap? (laughs) The only only honest soul here. Come to the missionary training program. We need you. Uh, You have a pocket air belt. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Can you hear me okay? All right, I'll just project. Is that okay? Can you guys in the back hear me? They're just smiling at me. I don't know if they hear me or not. Okay. <laughs> Let's have a word of prayer and start. Can we all bow our heads with me? Do you have your Bibles with you, by the way? Yes, you can have your Bibles. Let's bow your heads and, and ask the Lord Jesus for his blessing. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the Sabbath day, that this Sabbath day is not like any other Sabbath day. It is a high Sabbath. So, Father, we thank you. Father, we ask because our minds are tired for a refreshing of your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds to those truths that we need to be enlightened towards. And Father, we ask that we might just not only have a good time in this chapel, but be empowered and inspired to win a soul for you as well. 
I ask that you receive, that you send a blessing, and that we may receive a blessing. Every person in this room, including myself, bless my lips and bless the ears in this room. We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Can you guys see that? It's a bit dark, but you know. Pray for the Holy Spirit for light, and He can help you there. The the seminar is entitled "Think Some Loving the Lord with All Your Mind." Um, yeah. Um, the seminar is this. This part is going to be very cerebral, and perhaps you will be not used to this kind of. This is kind of a class that we do at Campus Ministries. How many of you actively have tried to reach out to an atheist and have miserably failed? After this seminar, you might still fail. So don't feel like this is a, a uh, all-purpose. This will, this will help you as a Christian more than help the atheist, you understand? Help to be consistent thinker. Um, loving the Lord includes using the mind to defend our worldview. I believe as Adventists, we need to have, be smart Adventists. How many of you agree? We need, and not just smart, brainy, nerdy ones who just like, say we're smarter than you, but ones who can think through... Uh, um, their beliefs to articulate our beliefs in a more to a more non-believing world, and to reach those with legitimate intellectual barriers. For example, Moses could talk to Egyptians. Daniel could talk to Babylonians. Paul could talk to pretty much everyone. Uh, Elijah, Samuel, Jesus are some examples that we have there. Let's see the old atheist uh, Karl Marx. How many of you heard this guy? Okay. Um, didn't ask you that to insult your intelligence, but you know some people have never heard of him. Um, there's John Paul Sartre. David Hume. David Hume was a philosopher during Ellen White's time. And she actually has a lot to say about this guy. Um, there's Bertrand Russell. How many of you have heard this guy? He's a British guy. Um, and he wrote a book, Why I Am Not a Christian. He's a philosopher. And his influence has just nuclear bombed all of philosophy. Um, because of this one guy, many philosophers today are not Christians because he just articulates the argument so well. Um, and there's a guy named Frederick Nietzsche. I mean, you've heard of him. We're going to actually analyze some of his beliefs. And this one philosopher has influenced all those guys underneath him. Um, Adolf Hitler, obviously Stalin, Mussolini. Bernard Shaw, he's a poet. D.H. Lawrence, he is an English writer. He kind of wrote pornography for his day in English. Kind of weird. Women in love. Some people think it's great literature. I don't think so. Uh, W.B. Yeats is a poet and Carl Jung is a psychologist. Some of you have heard him. All these people were influenced by one philosopher. Okay. So basically, if I don't get you to think anyway, I want to try to get us to a point where we as Christians, we as Adventists, have to start articulating our beliefs in a rational, proactive, engaging way to have an influence just as much as Nietzsche did. Okay. And I think that's we're called as Christians to do that in a spiritual way, you understand. Not as... Anyway, you understand what I'm saying. Um, the New Atheist, if you go to Borders, Barnes & Nobles, do you guys have that in California? Um, any bookstore. Uh, maybe you think I'm stupid. I, I don't know what's out in California. Um, there's a guy named Richard Dawkins. Have you heard of him? He wrote The Selfish Gene, and the new book, God Delusion, is just bombing every bookstore out there. There's Sam Harris, End of Faith, Christian to a uh, Letter to a Christian Nation. Uh, Daniel Dennett, I just went to the bookstore two days ago, and there's a book on the shelf, a new, newly published maybe a couple weeks ago, God is Not Great. Have you heard of this book? And the second book, God, The Failed Hypothesis. And if you go to the atheism section, it used to be a small little shelf in the bookstore. Now it's this entire, like, you know, they have this entire row, at least the bookstore that I go to, just dedicated to atheism. Okay, um, So we're getting inundated with these guys. Now, atheists, if you guys hear the term, it is not a universal term. There are different types of atheists. Uh, for example, this is all according to Ralph Muncaster, there are some level 7 atheists called closed. Now, these guys are completely closed to anything spiritual. They are the stereotypical atheists, you know, the ones who are like anti-God, they have a lot of issues, they're completely into, they're just, you talk to them, anything regarding God, they're just, you know, they take a machine gun and blow you out of the water. Um, so go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. And these are just some quick verses we're going to go through. Chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus himself says... Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine. Have you heard of this voice? Or this verse. This verse. There are some types of people that you should not even try witnessing to. It is a waste of your time. It really is. Okay? Some of these people are vitriolic to anything spiritual. 
Okay. Now it's up to you and your discernment to decide whether they are that there may be other people who uh, are up to the challenge. But for the general public, even Jesus himself, hey, there's some people lay off. Okay. He'll he'll take those himself, I guess. Level six. There's some type of open atheist. They listen to reason. Very intellectual. Uh, Level five, they're apathetic. They just don't care about stuff. How many of you know this? A lot of teenagers are level five atheists. They just, you know, what's the big deal? It doesn't matter whether he's alive or anyway. It's just, you know, they don't think about these things. Level four is the religious atheist. They believe in a non-Christian religion, cult, or need to break free. Um, there was a, I was in a campus ministry in Boston, and there's one individual. He believed he was God. Uh, we, were in, we were in a Bible study, and his, I think his name was Bob, and, and uh, we're going around, oh, I'm a Methodist, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian, oh, I'm a Bobite. And I was like, I'm sorry? Uh, what's a Bobite? Oh, I believe in the God of Bob. I'm like, oh, who's that? And that's me. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so I don't believe in God. I'm like, oh, but I am God. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> Go figure. Level three atheists. General atheists are just normally skeptical. They're just, they live through status quo. Maybe their parents have always been atheists. They just naturally are atheists, but they're open. Just be friends with them, and that's all that's really needed. Level two, there are Christian atheists out there. Do you believe it? They go through the church throughout life, and they just never believe God. They come to church, they sing the songs, and they go, and nothing really changes. And on level one, they're seekers. These guys who are intentionally looking for God, they just have had no opportunity. And these are the ones that we just got to pluck off the tree. And they're ripe fruit for, uh, for Christian evangelists. Um, so there's different levels of atheists, you understand. Okay? So this, uh, this seminar will kind of help to, next seminar will help reach all seven, well, all six, kind of in a, in a broad way. Now, I can give you guys these notes later on, so if you guys are writing these down. Just sit back and enjoy the ride, and I can give you these notes a little later. I come from the University of Michigan. We have our missionaries. I bring them uh, on campus. And usually, Christians are deathly afraid of atheists. And I tell the students, hey, you're going to reach out to atheists today, and they just freeze. Uh, one student, she's from an Adventist institution. She's never met a non-Adventist in her life. She's like, I, 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 I don't know how to talk. Okay. There's others. Well, we have uh, uh, one student. She, she gave up a research at Harvard University to come to our program. She was just excited. And you, you had the whole range from a community college and from a homeschool or just the whole gambit. Um, well, I tell these students, I tell these students to go on campus and do a survey. This survey comprises of questions, do you believe in God, da 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 da. And guess what percentage of the University of Michigan students do not believe in God? Just guess, random. Wait, what, what? 90? Okay. 80? 50? 75? Okay, 15% non-theistic responses. What does that mean? The other 85 believe in God. Yeah? Now, it's, it's crazy. In America, the majority of people do believe in God. It's an American phenomenon. Okay? But it is the perception in media, entertainment, and the bookstores that seem like atheists are like everywhere. Yes? A lot of the intelligentsia of society are atheistic. Now, if you go to Europe, it's completely different. It's like the flip side. Okay. Um, of the 15%, 6% are only true atheists. The other 9% kind of like, don't know. They either said they're a Buddhist or Shinto. Um, their uncle and aunts were fundamentalists, so they're anti-religion. They don't know. They're Jewish. <laughs> they don't know. They're Catholic. Um, they're agnostic. Agnostic. They say evolution has just too much evidence. That was from the engineering department. If God was there, there would be more scientific evidence. Uh, agnostic, that he believes there's a higher power that connects all of us, a new ager. Religion is control and causes conflict. I think that was a feminist. <laughs> Faith is science. It's impossible to really know. Didn't grow up within the family. And here's the conclusion. The Western world needs missionaries more than the Eastern world. Okay. It's, it's, it's fascinating. If you go to the third world, they're not having problems with religion, religious faith. They need to send their missionaries to Canada, America, England, Australia now. The times have changed. Okay? Um, let's see. Biblical injunctions. So open your Bibles to Colossians 4.6.
And I'm, I'm rapidly going through this, not because I'm nervous, because, oh, I am nervous, um, but there's a lot of material, and I'll give you guys this, all this material if you need it. But I want you guys to think and just, you know, appreciate where you are, and maybe the Holy Spirit can talk to you through this mess. Um, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer every man. Okay, That includes non-believers, yes? Okay. The second uh, verse, First Peter, chapter three, verse fourteen through sixteen. The Bible says, "But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror; neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear." Okay. You guys see these principles? Number one, don't be afraid of anyone. Really, the worst thing you can do is just mumble and stumble. And and uh, one time I was w- witnessing to a uh, in Boston a Harvard graduate, super smart individual. And this is my first time. My my first Bible study there was only two people there for about six months. Only two people showed up. It was the most discouraging point. Here comes this guy, and he comes with full blast. These arguments like words I've never even heard of, I couldn't even pronounce. There's something about eloquence that intimidates you, doesn't it? You're like, and you're just there, I'm as a humble Christian, and I'm like, I don't know what you're saying, and I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and what came out of my mouth was, I don't agree. <laughs> you know? Uh, here's the thing. Evangelism, all of us in this room need to be evangelists. We really do. Okay. That doesn't mean we need to wear a suit, ladies, and, and go out into and hold evangelistic series. That's not what we're called to do. Evangelism, I believe, Dr. Dupre, who's going to be uh, probably here at Weimar in a couple months, he has this phrase, Christianity is developed of three things. One, you read, feed. As you eat the Bible, feed. Uh, as you eat, you also read, read, feed. You air prayer. As much as you breathe, you also need to pray. And the last one is witness, fitness. What is nice little rhyming colloquialism, whatever you call them. And he says this, is that witnessing is like working out. You don't go into the gym and you see this, you know, big Arnold Schwarzenegger guy lifting up like a million pounds. So you don't go and do that yourself. What you do is you have to go in and lift out like a 15-pounder and start doing this. Yes? But next week, you don't, you're stronger than that, so you take up 30s. And the next week, you take up 50s. And eventually, you get to 200, right? Witnessing is the same. So you talk to someone, and if you mess up, that's okay. But do your little what you can, but next week do something a little bit more. And eventually you'll do your own Doug Bachelor series or Mark Finley and go around the world and to the moon and stuff like that. Here, the first Peter 3 says, do not be afraid. Do what you can. Be ready and with meekness and fear, because you never know what's going to come out of your mouth, with meekness and fear, depending on the Holy Spirit, witness to that person. And your point is to make them ashamed. You, have, you as a Christian have no business being ashamed. You really don't. This is truth. We have no business being afraid or ashamed. And here I was in front of that guy. This is my first time. I was like, I, I don't agree. <laughs> and he just had this bewildering look on his face because he spent about five minutes articulating his belief. And I said, I don't agree. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> just didn't know what to do. So what do you believe? And I just told him in as simple language as I could. Uh, now, I don't ever know what happened to him, um, but, you know, you start somewhere. That's kind of what we're trying to get at. Last, last uh, verse for today, not for today, Luke 10, 27, for this, this, this slide, is this is a, a verse that you guys have heard of. Let me read it to you. Verse 27, and, Jesus, and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And that's the point. I think it's easy for all Christians to experience love with all your heart, all your, 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 your soul. And, but we need to actually love the Lord with all our minds. And that's the thing. I think in Adventism we do lack this. We do. Now, I'm not saying that we're, we're, we're not a smart in, uh, denomination. I don't, I'm not saying that. I need to, we have to exercise our minds. And uh, we'll go through that next, next, um, next class or next, next session. Worldviews. There are seven worldviews. First of them, first is uh, pantheism. Everything's God. Um, those of you guys who know Adventist history, our, our uh, early church went through the uh, Alpha Apostasy. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, 
pantheism was the first thing. Basically, it's saying, look, if God is everywhere, and if God's all-powerful, then God's everywhere. If God's everywhere, then he's also here, because if he's everywhere, he's here. And if he's here, then that means I'm God. Then if I'm God, then then, then that's pantheism. Um, everything's God. Okay, that's what they basically believe. Deism. God is beyond this world. The founding fathers of America believe this. God is not here. He's over there. And we'll never, ever know where there is. But he's over there. But he's, he exists. Next one is pantheism. God is in the world and beyond the world. Now, this may seem like, what's the difference between all these? There's huge repercussions on all of these differences. And we're not going to study this at all. So this is just for your entertainment. Last, number four is polytheism. They believe in many gods. Number five is finite godism. God is limited like just like you and me. This is creeping into Adventism heavily that says, you know what? God doesn't know the future. He's exactly like you and me. He's waiting what's going to happen in the future, just like you and me. So can he predict the future? No, he can kind of give a general idea what may happen, give a good prediction, but he's on his tippy toes waiting what little Johnny's going to do, just, just, just as we are. Okay? Um, Looking at these worldviews will help us uh, understand our beliefs more consistently. And we're going to look at theism. There are three forms of theism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, whereas Islam put in parentheses, but it's almost kind of deistic. Uh, you can ask me why that's so later on. God is personal and God is infinite. Man was created immortally, originally, uh, but evil is caused by choice. Ethics is grounded in the absolute person of God. Okay. Now, atheism believes otherwise. There are three forms of atheism, Taoism, Jainism, Humanism. These are kind of the, the New Age Chinese. I think Jainism is found in India and Humanism is found in America. Uh, uni the universe is eternal and by chance came to be. Man has evolved from molecules. Evil is real and defeated by education. You guys see the, what's weird here? Atheism believes in evil, but believes as you become more educated, evil goes away. Okay. So atheists are really into education and, and getting smarter. Now, what Christians believe is, if you're evil and you get smarter, you don't become better. You just become a more of a smarter, evil person. <laughs> you understand? Okay. And ethics are relative. I mean, God doesn't exist, so who cares what you do, kind of thing. Okay. And we're going to take a, a closer look into to Nietzsche. Nietzsche said, Christianity is the one great curse. He saw no light at the end of the tunnel. tunnel. Basically, to be an atheist is honestly pessimistic. It's hard to live as a consistent atheist, and we'll see why. Uh, Nietzsche, if you ever read his writings, he's a depressing, pessimistic writer. It's hard to read his stuff. You just want to kill yourself reading this stuff. Um, and he himself agrees with all these things. He says in The Madman, one of his books, what are these churches now if they are not the tombs and sepulchers of God? And he came up with the famous term, God is, God is dead. Two predictions he made. The 20th century will be the bloodiest century in human history. And second, there will be universal madness. Guess what? 20th century was the bloodiest in human history. Okay? Hitler, Stalin, followers of this guy. Okay? Universal madness, if there is no God, what is the point of living anyway? And here's Nietzsche. He's saying, look, he's admitting to this. If you don't believe in God, you will become mad. And he believed it. And he, what's ironic is he died of madness. He was insane. Went to an insane, insane asylum. Um, he, he rejected the Sermon on the Mount. He said, that's a society run by losers. Um, if you get hit, hit the guy back. Why do you have to turn the other cheek? It just doesn't make sense to him. Um, basic nihilism means there's no such thing as values, no truth, nothing. Nothing matters. Nothing exists. It's just hard to live a life like that. Okay. Now we're actually going to see how this trickles down into every, everyday life. Um, atheism, doctrine of belief that there's no God. And here's a self-contradiction what all atheists have to say. Atheists have to say, I have infinite knowledge that there is no being in existence with infinite knowledge. <laughs> yes? Now, if you're an atheist, you have to admit to this, and you contradict yourself. At best, you have to say that there might be no God. But to say that there's no God, you yourself have to have infinite knowledge of everything in the universe to say that there is no God. Is that clear? 
that's a clear. Say amen. Okay, good. Because that's a, a very crucial point. Four areas we're going to look at are origin, values, meaning, and life. Number one, origin. Atheists believe there's no creator, no origin. You cannot answer the hows or the whys. How do we get here? I don't know. Why are we here? I don't know. How do we get to go? How do we go where we got to go? I don't know. Who cares? You can't answer these questions. There are general contradictions and internal weaknesses. Science says, one, mathematics says the chances of life are one in 10 to the 40th thousandth power. Now, if you're Asian, you may understand this. If you're not, I'll explain it to you. Um, <laughs> that means you take that 10 and put 40,000 zeros after that. And one in that number is the chance life could have actually happened. Now, atheists are saying, yes, that is a very highly probable number. That's what they're saying. Okay. Now, do you guys know what 40,000 zeros are? That just continues going off the screen and goes back to the gazebo. The, the brain has 10,000 other cells it needs to connect to. There are 1 billion long nerve cells. So imagine 1 billion crossing over to another one, just the complexity of that, and that just happening by chance. They say if evolution caused this to happen, the time it needs to take for 1 billion long nerve cells to integrate itself to a brain is longer than the time of the, the earth needs to come to be. Yes? You know, all the ju Jurassic, if you do the history of the world, the, the, the time it takes for the nerves to come together is longer than that. Meaning the human brain had to exist before the world did. It just doesn't really make sense. Okay, chemistry. Um, how much more probable is that life came from a hydrogen atom than a creator? They asked him the question. Biology, Francis Crick, who, who uh, discovered DNA, he says this, a DNA is just so incredible, it had to been found and it needs machinery, therefore life came from outer space. He admits that. Now this guy is a non-believing guy. Uh, Stephen Hawking, how many of you have heard of him, the, the famous scientist? He believes that life came from outer space, that aliens designed DNA. It's just so mechanical, so precise. There's no way randomly it came to be. Um, genetic mutations do not result in a corresponding single change. If you understand that, God bless you. If you don't, then you're still blessed. Physics, entropy, heat, energy, chaos always increases, but biological organisms maintain their structure at the end of the system. You guys understand this? Things are always constantly getting more chaotic, but why are things getting more ordered? Okay. If you understand that, God bless you. Anthropology cannot explain evolutionary gaps. So as you guys can see in, in science, they just don't fit themselves. Okay. Um, let's go to values. Atheism cannot explain deontology. What well, deontology is this? Uh, it's duty, commitment, loyalty, the word ought, or obligations. Yes? If there is, I'm a dating a girl, and we're walking through the door, and we're not living in a highly Nazi feminist society, I ought to open the door for her. Yes? Yes? Now, in an atheistic model, there's no reason for me to open the door for her. Why? She's just an evolved being like I am. Who cares whether she runs into the door or not? I don't care. You understand? Survival of the fittest. So if when I'm going through the door, I've got to make sure I get through the door and not care about her. You understand? That's what... There's nothing that's duty. When, uh, when we're going into the military and we're getting run by enemy fire... I have no obligation to protect my own people. Yes? If America is fighting Canada and we're losing and Canada's Canadians are shooting us and my poor American guy is, is on the ground, I shouldn't defend him. Why? There's no such thing as duty or honor. Okay? They can't explain it. There's no reason why you should. Clockmaker timekeeper syndrome. There was a man who would walk next to a, sh a shop of clocks every day. And he would pass by the clocks, and he would um, wind and match his watch to all the clocks in the store every day. And he would keep on walking. Now, lo and behold, this guy, he happened to be the village uh, bell ringer. 
at 12 o'clock each day, he would ring the bells. Now, each time at the, when he would ring the bells, the guy in the store store would match all of his uh, clocks to the, to the sound of the bells. Now, in the end, who has the real right time? No one does. You understand. So the one guy is keeping his watch point to him, but he's keeping his watch point. So it could be like 3 o'clock and it's actually 4 in the morning. You know, you have no idea. Atheists have the same thing. They're saying, you know, I have no way of deciding what's good or evil. I'll follow what you're saying. But he's following what he's saying. You know, you have no basis of some kind of objectivity. Okay? You guys understand that? Okay. Ethics are like choosing colors, according to Bertrand Russell. Okay? You like blue, but I like black. You like eating people, but I like, you know, not eating people. He says, it's simple as that. You kill people, but I don't. And there's no way of condemning that person. So if a man rapes his daughter and then eats her, we should not condemn that person. It's his preference. Okay? Now, you understand, if you're atheist, you have to concede to all these things. What's crazy is all these guys concede. Say, yes, that is true. Now, if you're a, a rational person, you've got to say, that's kind of crazy. Atheists may live ethical lives, but there is no moral obligation or argument for it. Number three, meaning. Everything is meaningless. Everything is relative. Nothing has meaning. Do you guys agree with this? All these are self-contradictions. Right? Because if everything is meaningless, then these are meaningless. And if these are meaningless, then this has no meaning. <laughs> you understand? Do you guys see the self-contradiction? Okay, good. Some of you are like, what? Okay. Um, number four, life. Since there is no meaning, no creator for an origin of life or values attributed to life, there is no reason to live. Life causes despair. There is no such thing as friends, family, dreams, hopes, aspirations, accomplishments, and relationships. It really isn't. So here's the thing. Living a theistic life is the happiest model. When a father loves the mother or the children, there's a reason for it. In an atheistic worldview, there's no reason for it. Divorce means just just a random thing. Killing your children, just a random thing. Eating your children, random thing. Now, I'm trying to get really gross here because that's how people have to argue it for it to make sense. Atheism versus theism. While atheists may believe in their worldview, they live out a mixture of worldviews. You guys see this? They may believe in an atheistic worldview, but they live their lives as Christians. Now, they don't believe that. They'll never, they'll never say it, but they actually live their life that way. They love their wives. Now, I'm not saying atheists don't love their wives. They love their wives, but they can't intellectually explain a reason for loving their wife. Do you guys see that? Okay. Um, it's difficult to live as a true atheist, according to Nietzsche. Um, our job is to initiate or continue dialogue with those with atheistic perspectives. We need to continue talking to these individuals and love them. Here's what's the thing. Love is the most profound argument to an atheist. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor, it's not these like, you know, fruity love, like L-U-V, you know, A-U-L-I-M, I love you, and like Hallmark cards. That's not the love that we're talking about. A deep relationship, a friendship, is the hardest thing to argue against. It really is. And sacrificing your life for another individual, they have a hardest time explaining that. So when so God says love another person, that's the greatest argument. It's not only a command. Amen? Is that clear? Yeah. Now, as Christians, what do, what do we believe? Okay, a lot of people believe that. What do we believe, Justin? Um, I go to Job, Job 38, verse 1 through 42. We won't actually read it because it's a long passage. God is talking to Job and he's saying, where were you when I did... Remember that passage? I created this, where were you? I did this, where were you? Where? And basically, Job's like, oh, sorry, God. <laughs> okay. So for 38 chapters, Job is complaining. He's talking with his friends. It's just, a, a, to be honest, just a rambling book. There's a lot of truth in there, but it's just kind of going in circles. And finally, in, ch- in chapter 38, God comes in and says, where were you in the beginning? And Job just says, not there. <laughs> okay. Um, God uses design to substantiate his existence. If you guys have a chance, read these books. William Dembski, he's the father, or not the father, but he articulates intelligent design theory the most. If you guys know anything about ID theory, it does not explain God. Okay? It just explains that there is evidence for design in nature. 
Okay? And as, as Adventists, because we believe in the Sabbath, God created all things. It is imperative that we know everything about intelligent design theory. It really is. Okay? Now, the second one is Michael Behe, who wrote my, uh, Darwin's Black Box, and he talks about irreducible complexity. Here's the thing. If you take a being and you need to reduce it to its most simple, simplest form, what Michael Behe is saying is the simplest form is so complex it, ha- it could not have been randomly put together. Yes? So you take a camera and you reduce it to its most simplest aspects. So you take away the, the strap, you take away the little button, you take away the cannon, you etch it out, you take away the plastic case. You finally have just the lens and the little thing in, I don't know anything about cameras, but just imagine you re- reduce it. Now what are the chances of these all these components, the flash, the, the lens, coming together all precisely at the right time? It's impossible. The other thing is this. There's a scientist who says, and this is this was, it's hilarious. I actually read this paper. Imagine that I am a, uh, a penguin, yes? And I'm a penguin that has no wings. Now, evolutionists say, me, the penguin, evolved into a bird with wings, yes? Now, for me... A bird with wings makes sense. Now, for me to develop this wing, I also needed to have a wing that was this big, and this big, and this big, and this big, and this big. You understand? Right? In history, like, the winged father was maybe this wing, and his father was this guy, and all these guys had to exist. Now, what theists are saying is, all these intermittent stages need a reason to survive. Right? If not, it's just random. There's no way evolution just naturally, like, a, a penguins walking around, boom, a, a wing sticks out one generation. It's, it just doesn't work that way. So this scientist says this. You know what? The first penguin without a wing, he had a little nub. <laughs> and this nub was evolved to catch flies. He actually says this. So a fly will land here, and you take his nub, and kill it, and then eat it. But eventually, those with the longer nubs survive more because they could catch flies more, yes? So the, if the fly's here, he can go like, <laughs> Yes? Now, this isn't a scientific academic paper. They actually described the nubs. <laughs> okay. And eventually, the nub became so long that one day he just swapped so hard that he actually kind of flew like three inches off the ground. And then the bird thought, oh, wow, I can just, you know, fly now instead of catching my nubby flies. You understand? And that explains wings. Now, we don't believe that, amen? amen. We believe God had the intelligence to say, I want a bird that flies. <laughs> Let there be a winged bird. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, that's more in lines with rationale to me than nubs. Um <laughs> An atheist willingly places himself not to view these things. Atheism creates other implausible theories to explain other improbable theories. The sense of all wonderment, contentment are not acknowledged or have any meaning. Here's what's the greatest argument for Christianity is. How do you explain awe and wonder to a non-believer? Worship is the time where all Christians experience wonder and awe. That is the sole purpose of worship. It really is. Children, it's an easy time. It, it's, it was very easy to get them experience wonder, yes? You tell them a story. You tell little Susie, and Susie, there was a door. Wow. <laughs> and we open the door. Whoa. And what she's going to ask? She's going to ask, what's behind the door? Right? Yeah? Now, as we get older, that kind of wonder goes away. But we believe in a God who is ultimate wonder ultimate awe and that's what worship is used uh, is the function of uh, worship is that's why today um, all the other forms of worship we have disagreements with them because there's no wonder anymore there's no awe it's just more of an entertainment having a good time and you feel good but you don't experience wonder anymore you can go off on that but I won't Um, origin the cosmological argument um, let's not read that because that's super long. Oh, no, we have to read this. This is really good. 
Okay. Now, this is really good. This is really good. You, bear with me. This is a long quote. I hate when people put on PowerPoint these super long quotes and you just like you blank out. But this one's good enough that I put it up here. Okay. Now, now bear with me. This is from a scientist from NASA. He says this. We scientists did not expect to find evidence for an abrupt beginning because we have uh, had, not hand, had until recently such extraordinary success in tracing the chain of cause and effect backward in time. At this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. Get this. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. (laughs) Robert Jastrow from NASA. Now he's saying this. He's saying this. We've just come to the conclusion that you theologians have been right for a couple centuries. Just today. And he's admitting this. Now you gotta admire scientists, they're honest. <laughs> okay. Christian theism, emphasis on love. Now this isn't cheesy, I'm, I don't want to get too fruity here, but the emphasis on love is ex- extremely important. The great controversy is based on love and justice. Okay? The Christian theism says, love beget life, not life beget love. Evolution says, life beget love. Okay? Emphasis on justice. The character of God places responsibility on creatures. Responsibility is to advertise, reflect the character of God. Here's the thing. A lot of you parents have a hard time with your teens. Your teens do not understand the concept of responsibility. And I believe we in the Western world, we refuse to be responsible. If we had, I would do a study on responsibility, rights. This is all about the character of God, justice. God gives you a certain responsibility. And that is part of his justice. And whether you want it or not, that's your responsibility. Um, we can go on, on that. I, we can't. The Adventist contribution to theism is that the great controversy merit a narrative where justice and love are equally balanced. Satan says this. Satan wrote a PhD thesis and he says, look, God, you have justice and you have love. What he does is he tries to contradict these, these things to, against each other. If you believe in a God who has more love than justice... That is not the biblical God. If you believe in a God with more justice and more love, that's not the biblical God either. The cross is the clearest indication that these two are the foundations of God's throne. They are. We should have died a long time ago. If we, if Adam and Eve sinned, God should have been like, yeah! yeah. Now, that's where his justice over, overshadows his love. But if God says, oh, Adam, it's okay, I forgive you, Eve, it's okay, and nothing happens, his love overshadows his justice. So he sends the cross, where God's wrath is poured out on Jesus Christ, and his love is shown towards, towards humanity. So the cross is the fullest uh, manifestation. Is that clear? Now, the great controversy, the book, and also the theory, Ellen White, is our contribution to this. Other denominations do not believe in this. Do you know how mind-blowing that is? Now, go back, go back, go home, and recreate controversy again. So if you missed that, then you missed the point of the book. Um, you're like, really? Um, values in comparison. Um, the essence of Christian theism and highest value is love. Love is defined and values protected through morality, Ten Commandments. This stuff, if you understand it, doesn't really matter. Inability to understand love results in inability to understand morality. Atheism relegates morality to the private, personal individual. This is important. Atheism deals with sin, not because it believes in God, but because it's empirically verifiable. Here's what happens. I have a pastor friend. He has this picture. His parents have a picture of Elvis Presley. How many of you know what Elvis Presley is? Really? Young people know who Elvis Presley is? Okay, good. Um, Elvis Presley, he has, his parents have this eight-foot picture of Elvis Presley. Not the young one where he's good-looking and dashing, like the old one where he's fat and has those sunglasses that are huge. Yeah, They have an eight-foot picture of Elvis Presley. Now, these parents, when Elvis Presley used to be in, they had this picture in the living room front, uh, you know, where everyone can see him. Now, in 2007, do people follow Elvis Presley? No. 
So what they do is, because they're such ardent fans of Elvis Presley, they can't throw away this picture, but they can't hang it up either. So they're in a, they're in a middle state. So what they do is, they put it in their basement. No one sees it, but they can't throw it away either. Do you guys see the, the trap they're in? Okay. Now here, we Christians have been living the same kind of life. God means a lot to us. We're fans of Him. But He's not in right now. So we can't throw Him away, but we can't publicly tell people that we're Christians. So we put Him in a private area of our lives. What basically this is saying is we can no longer be private Christians. There's, so, there's no such thing. You can't say, you know what, let me just be, stay home and read my Bible and live a quiet life and not tell anyone. It's impossible. You're denying the gospel that way. And as Adventists, I believe we have Adventist atheists in this room. You may call yourself an Adventist Christian, but you live a life of atheism, privacy. Privacy is an atheistic idea. You have no right to judge me. I have no right to judge you. So let me just live by myself. Don't bother me. And you close the doors. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. See, and it's clear after Sabbath. You know, Sabbath is a long day. Today's a long day. I know you guys are tired. I'm trying to get this as fast as possible. But it's easy after Sabbath, after a long day, to come home and take off your, off your suit and be like, <sighs> loosen your tie. Say, honey, don't bother me. I need my private time. That is a selfish thing. <laughs> You're thinking like, man, I wish I could do that right now. Uh, we have to be public Christians. That means our relations with every person. We are living in a web. And that doesn't mean you don't have time to yourself. I'm not saying that. You see the difference. But to say like, I need, to, I need my own time. That is relegating Christianity to a privacy. That's, that's an atheistic idea. We'll get to more later. Education does not result in morality. And we talked about that before. Atheism asks this question. How can ships not bump into each other? That's all that they cared about. Let's just live our private lives, but don't bother me. Christianity asks this question. Why are there ships in the ocean to begin with? <laughs> and where are the ships going? And how do we keep these ships in top tip-top shape. Okay. Different questions we're asking. Meaning. Meaning is found through uh, expression of love. There, it's funny when you ever watch these movies about war and you know, these, you know the machine guns and you know, there's a dramatic point where this guy, the main character, he gets shot in the heart and he's falling over. There's blood squirting everywhere, screaming and there's dirt flying everywhere. And he says the last words, tell my family what? I love them. And he croaks and he dies. <laughs> Okay. Now, why, why? I mean, if he's dying and he doesn't believe in God and he's just a, a random mutation of evolution and if he's going to die and he's going to return to the dirt anyway, why does he need to tell his family that he loves them? What's the point? There's an intimate connection there. There's no explanation for love. You understand that? Okay. So he's living a Christian life. Now, for Christians, we have every reason to believe in love. Okay. If... God forbid, but I'm in Iraq and I, I, I get shot. And I say, tell my mother I love her. I'm not married, so I use my mom. Uh, tell my mother I love her. Why? Because in the resurrection, I'm going to see her again. And I want her to know that. There's a difference of that. You understand? Okay. God created things with meaning. They're accessed through love. Atheism, there's no love, no meaning. Marxism says love is an economic transaction. So a man marries a woman and a woman marries a man because they're poor. And if they combine their bank accounts, they can become rich together. Okay? So the, what the husband says, Honey, you stay home and cook for me and clean for me, and I'll go, home, I'll go away and, and find money for you. So he goes away and finds the money, comes back, and he gets to enjoy. It's an ex economic transaction. You see? That's what Marxism says. Freudians, uh, Freud says uh, love is just a sexual projection. Okay. I love you, honey, because you remind me of my mom, basically what he says. Okay. Uh, meaning in relationships. You and yourself. Theism says this. You must die to yourself. You must die to yourself. Live for God. Constant improvement, reflection, peace with self, absolute freedom, getting higher. Like we talked about this morning. How many of you guys were here for Sabbath school? Kind of that's the point. Atheism says there is no such thing as a self-examination. You can't talk to yourself. There is no self. 
uh, you never improve, don't change, just live the life who you are. You see the difference? Okay. So I, who I am, if I have an anger problem, that's what my genes tell me, and I'm just going to live my life this way. If I have a pedophilic tendency, that's who I am, and that's who I will be forever. But Christianity says you sit down and you reflect. Whenever you hear a pastor, and the pastor does an altar call, the Holy Spirit is talking to you. You have a time to reflect upon yourself. Yes? Say, Lord, I want to change. Asking yourself that question is the clearest indication that God lives, at least for me. And say, Lord, I want to change. And then God gives you the ability to change. That's just profound. We call that a victory. Yes? Okay. Um, you and community, theism says, God uses the changed heart to change society, the power of influence. We as Christians, we need to change society. And I believe we're, not, we're here in Weimar. When you go back home, you need to change your home and your society. That's how God works. We call that the church and structure. Atheism says, you're a monad. Go home and just hang out by yourself. Don't do anything. Okay. You and history. Theism says history means something. Learn from the past, live in the present, have hope in the potential for the future. Atheism says time is nothing. Who cares? Just live. Uh, life. The reason to live is to enjoy the meaning God has placed in various entities. Exalt the creator who made these things to happen and the values attributed to live by them. Here's what Christianity basically means. And, here's, and the thing is, I could use scripture and we could do a Bible study. But I'm distilling these truths out for you. There's this gentleman here. I don't know who he is. I mean, look at his name tag, and I know his name, but I still don't know who he is. Christianity is the exercise of finding out who this individual is. Now, I don't like Oprah, but there's something that I do respect what she says. She says everyone has a story. Right? And she does these things where she goes to random houses, knocks on the door, and says, tell me your story. And you're like, well, I'm just a, I'm just a homekeeper. And you realize she like, you know, ran away from Nazi Germany and then you know, had this cra- went to the moon. It's crazy stories. Like, everyone has a story. Okay? Similarly, we have an injunction by Christ to talk to this individual. Find out why this individual is different from every other individual in this room and what makes him special. And then love him. That is our calling. And that's a wonderful kind of way of life. Atheism says he's just another human species. He just evolved like you and me. There's nothing different about him. Now, you guys see what the difference is? There are black people in this room. There are white people in this room. There are Asians in this room. There are Hispanics in this room. There's probably a, there's probably a, a race that I have not mentioned yet. Christianity, Christianity says, embrace your differences and be proud of it. Because that's how God created you. Amen. Evolution says, or atheism says, no, let's all try to be the same as possible. What? You call me black? I'm not black. You, you call me white? We're not white. You know, you, people get so politically correct about race, you understand. What? I'm not tall. I'm just, you know, horizontally advanced. You know, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, we are all different. Amen, friends? Now, there are short people in this room. There are tall people in this room. There are fat people in this room. And there are skinny people in this room. Uh, you, guys, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. I want to go through all this. Eternal life then starts now. We must experience heaven now. What do you think we'll be doing in heaven? Okay, after a million years, swimming with the dolphins, that'll be boring. After two million years, eating the cantaloupes the size of Africa, boring. We'll be spending in heaven getting to know each other and how different each individual is about why this person looks this way and she loves roses but he loves cockroaches and this person loves bicycling you know why did God create this being this way with so many unique weird just it's like you're dating humanity yes sounds kind of weird but you know I'm not polygamy or anything but you understand what I'm saying getting to experience humanity that's what eternal life is and Jesus says in John 17, 3, it starts now. It starts now. It is death to them that have no meaning. Resurrection, uh, we talked about that. Eternal life without love is eternal torture. You guys understand this? My, one of my youth asked me this question, this most profound question. This is Pastor Justin. Won't heaven become boring after a million years? So what do you mean? 
well, you know, by that time, I'll probably have met everyone, all the, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and Moses, swam all, all the dolphins, visit all the planets, talk to Enoch, kind of talk to Eve, why she took the apple, and that's why all the girls want to talk to her. Uh, won't it be boring after a trillion years? I thought about it. I was like, yeah, you kind of have a point. What are we going to do after a trillion years? And it came to me. When you are in love with another individual, the more you time you spend with them becomes more and more valuable. Love gives time meaning. Without love, time is just torture. Imagine if we were death never existed. Just living would be painful. Just existing. That's why we need to develop a love for God and humanity now. Love. Conclusion. Some of you are like, praise the Lord. Okay, looking at the atheistic worldview, we realize that there are many that are living inconsistently or are intellectual cowards. Looking at the theistic worldview, we must, through self-examination, realize if we are not, if we're just as inconsistent as others are, or if we are consistent to the principles of biblical theism. What this means is this. I may call myself a Christian, but I'm living the life of an atheist. Or you talk to an atheist, like, hey, you call yourself an atheist, but you're actually living a life of a Christian. If you say that, they go berserk. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Understanding these models gives us a general map of their ideological systems as well as confidence in God in our witnessing. So when you're talking to an individual, please don't, don't pull out this, this, this PowerPoint. Oh, you're an atheist. Hey, I want to show you something. <laughs> Seminar. No, no, this, that's not how it works. This kind of gives you a skeleton of what they believe, what you believe. And you can actually pinpoint, you know what, what you just said, that doesn't make sense what, what you said before. You know, if we evolved, how can da-da-da-da. You can kind of talk to them. Okay. And uh, I think that's the last one. Yes, that's the last one. This, so these, these slides are to give you a structure of how to frame your argument and your conversation. Is that clear, friends? Okay. Now, here's the thing. I believe uh, you guys are faithful Seventh-day Adventists. Our injunction by God is to sprinkle ourselves amongst society and promote love. Not hippie love, <laughs> but the profound love that we just talked about, yes? And uh, I believe, you know, this is our hardest challenge. Our hardest challenge is not memorizing the 2300-day prophecy. It's not trying to become nicer people. It's just trying to love people on a deep level. If we had this ability, the Lord would be here by now, wouldn't he? And because of love, truth comes into this in Bible studies and evangelism. All this comes in this package, but the fundamental comes as love. Um, we'll have a word of prayer to close, uh, but I want to ask you, as, as a final, final question, how many of you want this love? I pray for this every day. It's hard. And Pastor McIntosh talked about special annoyances. Those are the people you got to love. As annoying as they are, you know what gives me hope? Jesus had Mary Magdalene, yes? Now, people, there's this rumor that he was his wife. In I think it's in Book of Luke or Book of Mark, the last chapter. Mary had seven demons cast out of her, right? Mary was Jesus' special annoyance. Mary had a, had a devil in her. She comes to Jesus, Jesus, I'm so sorry, please get, be gone. She goes out, does her life again, comes back. Jesus, I'm sorry. Come. Seven times this happens. And I'm thinking, for me, if I were Jesus, and praise the Lord, I'm not, but if I were Jesus, after the third time, I'm like, Mary, what do you think you're doing? You know, you know get with it. <laughs> get into the program. But Jesus continues to work with her, and he shows her ultimate love. Now, I'm like, man, our Lord and Savior, our, our Master, our boss can do that. If he can do that, what is a small little annoying person? I can do the same here. And the Lord will give you strength. Basically, this, this, this uh, distilled into one sentence is, we must learn to love annoying people. Amen, friends? How many want to love annoying people? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this time. Father, we, we, we hope that uh, we may appreciate love more, Lord. Father, forgive us having abused this word. 
having become desensitized to this word, but we realize that this is the foundation of your and our existence. So, Father, we ask that you may fill our cups, Lord, to the full, and that it may overflow to all those around us. Help us in our daily witnessings to those who are atheists and those who are Christians who live not-so-Christian lives. We ask that you continue to strengthen us and bless us this day continually. We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.